B2B, what it's going to do is expose how well Google truly understands the B2B buyer journey very quickly. Um, and I'll, I'll explain that in a couple ways. One, there's going to be a tremendous impact on early stage awareness content. Um, if it isn't truly understanding how to drive someone down that B2B journey. We all strive for more nowadays, more traffic, more revenue, more growth. In this never-ending battle for more, it's easy to forget what's important. So what is important? Building real relationships with real humans and trying to be better each day without caring quite so much about getting more. After all, by building real and meaningful relationships, you'll have way more than you ever need. The SaaS SEO Show is a platform for meaningful connections and honest conversations with people who are real, hardworking practitioners and high performers in the SaaS industry. We're here to learn and get inspired by them, and we hope you do too. Now, here's your host, George Cassiotis. And we are live. So, hello everyone and welcome. I'm George Fasiotis, Managing Director at Minusia, and uh, I'm very excited for this session. This is Minusia's first ever roundtable discussion. And I'm excited to be joined by search veterans, Jeff Coyle and Steven Jeske, each with their own exciting search journeys. They found their paths crossing somewhere along the way at the leading content intelligence platform, Market News or it may be prior to that, I don't know. Uh, I, I would love to hear the story of how you guys met. Jeff is a co-founder and chief strategy officer at Market News, while Stephen is a senior content strategist. Together with, with Jeff and Stephen, we'll discuss recent changes in Google search based on the announcements uh, that took place at Google's IO event on May 10th. Jeff, Stephen, we are excited about this, and I want to thank you for accepting our invitation knowing how busy you are and uh, welcome you to this discussion. Hey, thank you for having us, George. I'll, I'll jump in first and saying, you know, I'm, I always love, love working with you on your events and this should be a great discussion. Uh, you know, I'm so excited to talk about what's now being called the SGE uh, with, with Steven. So I'll let him give, tell you his, his take and a little bit about himself and then I'll follow up. So. Yeah, George, you know, we got a lot to talk about. <clears throat> Things have dramatically changed since our last conversation, haven't they? <laughs> that's right. That's right. And I, and I thought that back then we, you know, we pretty much covered everything there was to search. <laughs> but, but apparently, but apparently, Google had, you know, a different uh, opinion. Now, before we dive into today's discussion, let me share a bit about how we'll run this session for people who who are joining us also to to know. I've prepared a unique unique set of questions for each of you. However, if one of you finds, you know, another question intriguing or has additional thoughts to share, please feel free to jump in with your th thoughts, insights, and so on and so forth, right? While we have a certain structure to guide us, of course, we want to run this as to make this conversation, um, uh, to basically leave it unfold as naturally as possible, okay? Now, for all of you, tuning in today. We are excited to have you with us. Please don't forget to share where you're joining us from in the chat that you will find in the bottom uh, right of your screen. Um, and also don't hesitate to drop your questions in the comments during the discussion. We'll address them as they come up or during the Q&A session at the end of our conversation. And with that, let's get started with question one. That's for you, Jeff. 
For people who are unaware of the changes Google announced and have already started rolling out uh, in an experimental uh, mode by Google, can you please give us an overview of, of what has been announced at Google's I.O. event on May, on May 10th? It's the same as always. Next question. No, I'm just kidding. So <laughs> what, what they have done, um, speaking specifically to the search generative experience, but they've also really announced that, hey, whether you knew it or not, we're part of the large language model market. That's really, that's the Google I.O. Some people knew that. Some people had, you know, tested BARD a little bit. Um, and, but what they, I think what they were really announcing to the world was we're, we're kind of a big deal in this game and we're about to release lots of things. We're about to do a lot of things that relate to this experience. And some, some of the elements that are most important to me are, you know, manifesting in the search generative experience. There are also, also a couple of things that you might have missed if you are just a casual observer of the I.O. Uh, uh, presentation. First of all, it was a beautiful pitch. Anyone who's going to pitch product, it was beautifully crafted. It was, you know, it told a beautiful story. Go back and watch it. That is a master storyteller pitching a masterful, masterfully constructed deck. But the one piece of it I'll, I'll, I'll start with the end is I was extremely interested in how they're communicating that they're going to be doing um, tuning of future language models for specific use cases, because I think that that's critical to understand about Google's history and their future. So uh, one of them, for example, said, we're going to take a large language model and refine it with medical information, refine it with another type of information to produce something in the future that we can then apply to a different product offering. So that's something that's critical, and that's where the puck's going to be going. That's where the ball's going to be going, is how can we take this and refine it for specific instruction sets and then land on a beautiful you know, offering for medicine or for manufacturing or for you know, sports scores, whatever you might say, right? And the reason why I say this, and it's very relevant to the search generative experience, and if for someone who's just coming into this, it means that there's going to be generated text and generated outputs on your search results screen. So how is Google doing that? There's a lot of different ways they can do that. Um, in their initial tests on the SGE, the search generative experience, when you have a query that qualifies as being suitable for this, they can show a box on the screen and the, what you're seeing is generated text. So natural language generation, it's predicting text and is writing you a blurb of predicted text of some size. And then they, what they've also done is they've uh, developed in the ability to show relevant products, to show relevant third-party content sources um, that you can click on. And then the third piece to, that's very important about the search generative experience is they're asking you to follow potentially another path of your journey to refine your query or to add on to have another generative experience. So the three pieces there would be a generated amount of text, then you have products and third-party resources, and then you have the ability to take the next step and refine that experience separate from 
the traditional search experience. So that's going to give you a high level. But from IO, I think the two big things are generated text and generated experiences will be part of your experience a, a little bit in the future. And then the refinement of large language models to make them more and more appropriate for particular intents and goals is going to be the future. Um, and I think they did a really great job of setting that one-two punch up, and now they're introducing us to it um, with this first effort. Are there challenges with it? Are there problems with it? Absolutely. That's what we'll be talking about today. Uh, but the basics are you can get it, you can click on it, you can see it, and that is a huge step in their, in, in, in their direction. So. Speaking of past and future, second question, that's for you, Stephen. Google has a history of applying changes to search that sort of take away traffic from websites, publishers, brands, and so on. Is what we are talking about today, SGE, one of these cases, or are we looking at something completely different this time? Are you reading my mind, George? Because as Jeff was said, talking about this, that was actually going through my mind. I think this is going to be very interesting to see that impact because historically there, over, definitely over the last couple of years as well, we've seen that that be a major concern. As Google is changing from just this page of 10 blue links, offering this much more immersive experience, less and less is there almost a need to go to specific websites to get that information. And I think it's valid. I think it's a valid concern. I, I you know, if you're asking me how to deal with it, that's uh well, we could do a whole other round table just on that. I, I think though that well what it what it means is that we're already in a situation where it's no longer enough just to have one page to to get to rank, right? You can't just have one page on the subject expect to rank. You can't make the best definition on content marketing and expect it to rank because you ran it through an optimizer and it says that yours is the best. This doesn't work that way anymore. So I think publishers, any website is going to have to think real long and hard about creating content that captures the entire buyer journey. Not only because you'll need that to rank well, but once you capture that traffic, you want to be able to pull them in and satisfy that audience's needs with more than just that one piece of content so that they'll either finish their journey with you or come back at a later time to keep that journey going. I don't think there's any other choice. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, we, have a, we have a question by uh, Rolf. Um, I don't know who wants to take that, uh, or maybe we can uh, save it for later. Let but me, I, yeah. please. Uh, no, I, I just I want to add on to what Stephen had stated quickly, uh, succinctly. when because it's talking about intents and the first implementation of search generated experience, it, it the first thing I saw, and I, and I saw this with Bing's implementation, which is much more of a co-pilot versus an intrusive, uh, it first, it's a very, very different interaction. So when you're searching for something, it's a, from information retrieval, you're searching in a database, it's delivering something. This is a completely different experience. It's almost a, an expansion of one's journey. It's it's a different journey. So Google's got a, th their big task here is to make sure that they're injecting this experience to the right intents. And in some intents, it's not going to be successful. In some, it might be, right? Just like featured snippets, 
certain feature snippets aren't a fit. You look at them and they're like, ew, that, 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 that wasn't the right format. And you're going to have a very similar experience. There's going to be some situations where this type of thing is good and the, a user instantly connects with it. Just like you're going to see that with feature snippets. There's a lot more secondary questions on that. But I think Google has shown that they are the experts of identifying the right intents that to show A or B. Will they get that right here? I think maybe <laughs> it's it's because it's such a such a different retrieval problem. Uh, so I'll just I'll just leave it there because I can get into some specifics a little bit later. But I want to make sure we answer the question. Um, per Rolf's, what was Rolf's question? So we have a couple of questions in there. Okay. Like they are all very interesting. So let me pull the first by Rolf. Um, Rolf, thank you very much for for the question. What are your perspectives on how SGE will affect B two B content marketing? I think that we will, you know, discuss that as we progress. Unless uh, I know one of you has something to kind of uh, share uh, right now. And I think that Eric's Eric, thank you very much for for your question and for uh, you know finding the time to join us. I know how busy you are, uh, and always you know uh, enjoying our our conversations. So Eric is asking, which I think is kind of connected to. To Rolf's question, how much of the journey do you think Google wants to keep on the SERP vs. like directed to a website? It seems like certain experiences, for example, booking a hotel, uh, which is not quite B two B. It's you know uh, it, it goes beyond B two B. Obviously, it's it's B two C as I understand it, as I perceive it, mm-hmm. could end up all staying on the SERP, impacting a retailer site revenue. So. Um, I know who would like to go first for Rolf's question, which is, uh, what are your perspectives on how SG will affect B2B content marketing? And then I guess we can discuss Eric's question on uh, the journey and how um, much traffic will stay on Google and how much traffic will be directed on websites. And I think, you know, whether this is also query specific or industry specific or, you know, uh, whoever wants to, to go, um, yeah. Steven, you want to? I'll take the B to B, and then I'll I'll hand you the B to C, and I'll do redirect. Uh, oh, the, right. The B to B, the B, the the first thing it does, there's just two things I would say for Rolf, and awesome. By the way, awesome questions, Rolf, Eric. Let's hang out. Awesome, uh, great questions. Um, B to B, what it's going to do is expose how well Google truly understands the B to B buyer journey, very quickly. Um, and I'll I'll explain that in. A couple ways. One, there's going to be a tremendous impact on early stage awareness content. Um, if it isn't truly understanding how to drive someone down that B2B journey. So if you have a basic early stage awareness page that isn't connecting with the B2B buyer journey, and you have that on your site, and it's not, and your site isn't telling the story that you know that entire journey, right? Well, this search generated experience might answer that question succinctly and freeze the journey. So it might not get to your second step. That first part of that journey, there may not be an easy way for them to get to your page as it, as they once did. Right? So the question then becomes, is Google going to recognize that they do need to escort somebody from the beginning to the middle of that journey? If they do that well, they may bypass your site. So in a nutshell, if you're in B2B content marketing, it may be the case that you have to have early stage awareness content and you have to have beautiful definitions 
right? But they may never get all that much traffic anymore, but you need to have them. So your what is X, right? Coming from the guy that used to manage what is.com, right? So in B2B, uh, your what is X page, you may need it to tell the story that you have that expertise, but it may become less of an entry. But what it does, it exposes Google, it exposes Google in their middle of the funnel. Because if they don't point you to the right next step, they're not going to be a useful product anymore. So if they're going to displace you, they've got to bring you to part two. Sorry, George. Was there? Uh, sorry, uh, sorry for interrupting. I, I, didn't mean, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but mm. as you were saying that, my mind went to a concept called topical authority. And I guess my question is, is what you're describing right now connected to that? Meaning that, yes, you may lose or you may expect to get less traffic for some of these informational queries, such as what is, I don't know, uh, what is a live streaming platform, right? right. Um, for Perry, who, has, uh, who is tuning in uh, from, from Uscreen. So you may get less traffic from a query like that, but you need to have that nevertheless as a page on your website because this is you know your way of telling Google that, you know what, I can speak for topics way beyond like the like top of the funnel, let's say, uh, um, because, you know, uh, this is what I'm all about and so on and so forth. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. It's on the nose. It's telling yeah. you have to have that infrastructure, the foundation of the house. It, it is, you know, bi-directional. You can't just have the bottom of the funnel. You can't just be a transaction, right? Yeah. Or else that's not telling the story. So if you can't just be the transaction on your $50,000 software product, right? If that, then you have to have that entire infrastructure on that concept. You have to tell the story that you know all the stages of the funnel. So the challenge that Google has is if they displace one of these areas with their own stuff, they really need to know the rest of it because they become the traffic cop. They become that buyer journey manager with this solution. And if they do it badly, it won't be very useful. Um, and so they're taking a huge, huge risk um, in placing themselves inside the buyer journey for a complex B2B topic or for a B2B learning or purchase journey. Um, and, and there's so many different examples, but that's how it's going to play out is certain, it seems easier to displace the easy answer featured snippets, right? But what's actually going to manifest is it's extremely difficult because the B2B purchase journey, if you've ever seen the Gartner traffic map, <laughs> you know, that it, you know, it is not, it is not simple. And, um, you you may land on that basic what is and immediately want to enter a second second part. You may end it, land in the middle and you want to go to the early or late. There's a lot of different considerations, um, and Google can't solve them all. Um, and it's gonna it's, it's gonna be very very obvious how well they understand the B two B buyer journey. And then what can you do to defend against it? Cover everything. Think about your twists, your twists on industries. So if you have an early stage CRM page, CRM for industry, for industry, for industry, for industry. If you know more about this, if you know all the problems that happen early stage in the software selection process, right? So try to block somebody from taking the wrong second step with your first step article. So there's a lot of ways you can defend based on uh, the way that Google implements this. Um, and so it's, it's just the beginning of being really, really creative. Uh, so Rolf, Net, net, you got to be very creative and watch what they do. 
um, watch how they try to displace you. And if they displace you in a tone deaf way, it's going to be a great opportunity for B2B marketers. It's going to be a huge opportunity for really s smart ones. Um, so I'll hand off to Steven on the, you could probably add to that and then add. Yeah, really, Jeff, what you're talking about is that, and, and maybe you don't realize it, but I think most content strategists and SEOs are going to have to make this radical mind shift. I mean, Jeff has already did it, so maybe he kind of glanced over this. But I mean, it takes a lot to 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 actually say, okay, I got to create content that I'm probably not going to be getting any traffic from. And so, you know, most people, when they're creating content, their their justification is either, well, it's going to get me lots of traffic for for a top of the funnel play, or conversions for bottom of the funnel, and that's the extent of it. But to actually, I mean, how are you going to just, it's, it's hard right now. How are you going to justify, well, I, I just, I have to create this content. I have to, because if I don't, all my other content won't perform because I'm not coming across as an expert. Because that's essentially what Jeff is saying. You really have to uh, show that expertise. And that expertise isn't just by creating bottom of the funnel content. You're so right, Stephen. And I, I think it's going to be a very big challenge because you can't just say because some guy named George said so, right? Yeah. I mean, and, and that and that's and that's real hard when you're when the de the demand gen team maybe isn't attributing value to your content anyway. Right. Now it's not even generating traffic. <laughs> I mean, imagine the person in charge of leads is like, we don't need that early stage awareness stuff. It doesn't generate leads. My my awesome pricing content does because they don't they really don't understand the buyer journey. Now you got to say, oh yeah, it's not going to. It, you just believe me, it's going to, you know, Google needs this to, to tell the story that we have expertise. And, you know, the same way that topic authority, you know, at Google, which was just announced as being real, even though it's been around for a very, very long time. Um, and we're all very happy about that at Market Muse, um, is, you know, if you haven't written about this topic, it's very highly or any semantically related concepts, it's very highly unlikely that you are the expert of the, on this topic. And we also need to be thinking about this at the page, at the site section, and the site level. Um, so, I mean, are people going to get religion overnight that the entire website matters, that all their site sections matter, that you have to build this beautiful foundation and they can't just get free money from SERPs anymore? I mean, it's going to be harder than I than I make it sound. Stephen, well, well put. <laughs> Can I, can I can I go yeah. back to to B two B now for a minute uh, because this is also connected to a question I had, uh, and I guess we can talk about uh, more about how things were changed for specific types of queries um, moving forward. But if we think about SaaS companies, some of the most commercially important keywords are keywords that indicate investigations, such as you know um, best content optimization platforms or market new market news reviews. Uh, and then we also have keywords that indicate commercial investigation, but they may also indicate that the searcher has reached a switching moment. And these keywords may be market news alternative or market news VS competitor, right? My question is, how do you see uh, search results change for these keywords? And I think I think that this is connected to what you know to draws you know uh, question and also uh, connected to like. Um, I guess it's it's interesting to many of the people who are joining us today. Uh, some of which, some of my, I, I really know they they are in SaaS and they they want to hear about these types of queries. So, who who would like to uh, to answer this? 
Um, Stephen, I'll let you go on this one, and then I'll I'll layer on if it's relevant. So yeah, um, I think we got our work cut out for us. Yeah. I, I I really do. Uh, it's and again, it's still it's, and in a way, there's just this. I think there's still this common theme that's running throughout this conversation, and in fact, it really doesn't matter whether you're B2B, B2C, SaaS or not, if you don't have the content on your site that shows that you're an expert in whatever it is that you're doing, it's going to be tough to, to rank for, for anything. It just it doesn't matter what you're targeting. And so when you're looking at these things, I think you do have to, and kind of coming back to what Jeff was saying, you really do have to look at this as as part of a whole. I don't think you can even, I, I don't think you can do those plays anymore. I'm, I'm just thinking of small sites or even somebody thinking of launching a new site. I don't think you can do a play like, I'm just going to start doing bottom of funnel traffic. Right. Or I think I'm just going to go for top of funnel and I'm just going to build out from there. I don't think that I don't think that can work. I think that realistically now, especially if you know if you're starting from from absolute scratch, and you have like no authority whatsoever, um, good luck. Uh, I think that's gonna, and I hate to say it, but I think we're getting to the point where you're gonna need you're gonna need a substantial amount of content just to be in the game. And so that yeah. really puts uh, that really puts that you at a disadvantage. And if you do already have a site, I think we really have to seriously look hard at where your authority already exists and build out from that. No, no matter where it may be, right? Assuming, of course, that's related. And this is the other point. Assuming it's related to really what you want to be known for, because I've come across and I've talked to many people on websites. Where when we look at it, it actually turns out that they're not authoritative in what they want to be known to be about. But assuming that you are, that's where you're going to have to start and build out. And it's kind of irrelevant what industry you're in. And it's kind yeah. of right irrelevant what you want to target. You're going to have to kind of pay your dues. Well, either I just I would add something. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me. So basically, as I perceive it. The type of query may not be as important after all, meaning that they may, you know, the, the type of query may not trigger an SGE today, but moving forward, you know, maybe their understanding and their, their way of like answering things is better and better, right? And more refined and so on and so forth. And they feel more confident about answering more uh, types of queries. And so it doesn't really matter um, as long as you cover the whole spectrum of the the, the the buyer journey, regardless if it's B2B or B2C, you are good and you will be able to capture some of that, let's say, demand. But I think a very important question here is, okay, I get that, but what is, like, of course, we are entering kind of a, um, everything we, we will share now is kind of an assumption, right? But mm -hmm. what is the the best case and what is the worst case scenario we're looking into here? I mean, is it going to be that websites are just going to be destroyed or is it that, you know, we're looking at a small decrease, let's say of, I don't know, 10% or whatever, which may be big depending on the, like the, the, 
total amount of traffic that you get on a monthly basis. I would take it the other, I'd say it's the the reverse uh, of, of the outcome. So, um, and, and by the way, we, it is, is assumption of what they're going to do with search generative experience, but we do have experience with Google rolling out similar solutions. So we can be a little bit predictive or prescriptive of where we would see this puck going. The, what I would actually see here is search generative experience will contract and be shown in fewer intents until it is nailed down that it is providing value. Um, and then my take on prescribing how to appeal to this or perform, certainly you want to have the infrastructure that tells the story, but you might also be looking at gaps that it presents much like you would, uh, featured snippet research. If it's not producing a lot of value, just like you look at search results pages. I don't think it's appealing to the intent that I feel people have. I don't think it's uh, the content on this solution on this particular query is good. What do I do? I produce amazing content on that. Well, we might see search generative experiences that are tone deaf, right? Because it's generated and it's not producing the right next step. I mean, and I think his answer is Eric's question really well for the journey, keeping people on the SERP driving to a website, for example, booking a hotel could end up staying on the search result, impacting re retailer site revenue. I think it depends on the, and I'm not saying depends like an SEO would, I'm saying it depends on the intent of the user. If the user's in a final stage price comparison, I think potentially. However, most people's buyer journeys are far more complex, whether it's socks, a hotel, or uh, you know, $2,000 e-bike. I laughed hysterically at the search generative experience for a $2,000 e-bike for that you would consider buying that without looking at one review or without researching one page is, is hilarious. It's hilariously uh, illustrating lack of understanding of the buyer journey. If you had already made the decision and this provided you a cheaper price, that's a different stage of the e-commerce buy cycle. Mm -hmm. What that tells you as a retailer is you need to have that beautiful experience of that true, un honest experience of how somebody had the riding experience, that you have that beautiful review by somebody who actually owned the product or used the product, right? If Google doesn't point people to that, that's bad on them. That's what their search results were supposed to do. They're supposed to appeal to the buyer journey stage you're in. So SGE is not going to appeal to all those buying journey stages properly. And you as a marketer need to capitalize on that. How do you capitalize it uh, on it? You provide that meaningful experience that the user actually wants, even if Google for a short period of time doesn't provide it. If Google displaces a real human experience with their text, um, then they're in trouble. They're in trouble as a business, yeah. right? And but to displace that real human experience uh, authentically is is going to be extremely difficult, um, and and it's not um, something I expect. If you think you're going to buy a, a anything of any cost uh, based on the potential assertion of of this small piece of text. It's just not the reality of the real buyer journey. People might click on something they already expected to buy. They might go into that experience, but 
transaction, immediate transaction, they would have already made the purchase decision for that particular product. Um, and that's, that's where I think that impacting retailer site revenue, absolutely. But that's all workflow, logistics, attribution, et cetera. They're going to hurt you because of the way they implement it, not because they're displacing the buyer journey in the short run. And that'd be my, my assumption there. Um, I would like to, uh, like, we have more uh, questions and I, we would like to, we will, we will try to answer them all. Um, but I would like to continue with my questions because I think that, you know, um, I want this to be as practical as possible. And so I'm going back to you, Stephen, and I know that at Market News, you, you help customers with their corner strategy. So let's pretend I'm a customer, right? And I come to you and say, Stephen, we need to change our con strategy because these changes in Google search scare me off. And not only that, we need to do it ASAP. What would you recommend me to do as my trusted advisor in terms of con strategy? I guess my question is, should people who like have a, like a playbook or a strategy defined for 2023 consider any changes based on Google's uh, announcements or you should just stick to what we, you were doing before, assuming that what you were doing before was, you know, X and Y and Z. <laughs> oh, that would depend on your strategy that you were sharing with me. Because, uh, uh, you know, uh, and I hate to say this, but there's a lot of bad strategies out there still. There's a lot of strategies out there that are based on stuff that was happening, God, before I... I started with Market News over five years ago, uh, and things have changed drastically. And uh, you know, strategies haven't necessarily kept up with those times. And you know, to give you an example, I what I still see, fortunately, not from people that not none of our customers that I deal with. I should clarify this, but a popular strategy is still popular to this day. Is all right. I optimize my piece of content. It's gone as far as I'm going to get in the rankings. I'll go and hire a link or get my link builder to build out some links to that. And, you know, the, the links may, or if, if they're good quality, they might do something for a little while. But the problem, of course, is that, you know, getting links is kind of like buying ads. Those links have to keep on building up for them to actually have influence. And, and that influence only goes so far. You know, whereas you're, in, in my opinion, you're better off building out content because not only will your audience benefit from that content, you'll benefit from it too because Google will recognize that content. And again, it'll, they'll recognize that as part of your authority. I mean, it used to be, you know, let's say 10, 15, 20 years ago, that authority was measured in links, right? That was the defining characteristic. If you were getting links, that meant you were authority, but that's just not the way it's working anymore. Yet, I think a lot of people still uh, believe that, that that's what it comes down to, that my content's fine, I just need more links. And so if, if that's the type of strategy that you're talking about, and should you keep on doing it, definitely not. Because it's just going to get, I mean, the events in the past month or so are just going to bear that out, that it's just getting worse and worse to, to try to pursue that type of strategy or try to pursue a strategy where it's not holistic in that you're just looking at individual pages. I'm just optimizing this individual page. I'm optimizing that individual page and, and that's it. 
I think those are destined for failure. You're going to have some success, right? Everybody gets lucky and you will get lucky too, but that's not a strategy. So essentially we can't be selective with the type of content and like the types of keywords we go after. We also can't kind of depend on links to solve our content problems, content quality problems, or lack of like a cohesive content strategy problems and so on and so forth. And if that's what you were doing before, like this, this whole thing uh, was announced, then this wasn't a good strategy to begin with, right? Yeah. So yeah. You, you had to change it either way. But as I understand it, it's becoming even more important to, to change it now and shift the focus of like what you were doing to um, becoming present at every stage of the, the buyer journey, regardless of whether this triggers an SG or not, and whether this brings you like a lot of traffic or not. I want to kind of tweak the, the question now. I'm the same customer and I come to you, uh, Jeff, this time and say, what do we need to do with our existing content inventory though? Do we need to change, update everything or like be selective about the changes we, we apply or are we good? And I'm asking these questions because these are questions that our clients also ask us, right? Uh, when it comes to content strategy for net new content or when it comes to the existing content inventory, do we have to go back and change some things based on these uh, announcements by Google? Jeff, the stage is yours. No, that's sure, for sure. And so I think that what you really want to make sure is to know that there isn't a simple answer for your website. Um, all of the content on your site is, you know, make sure that the mirror is crystal clear and you don't expect something unorthodox to yield some sort of big, huge win at this point. It might, you might be able to identify that in a content inventory process. You might be able to identify some quick wins. You might be able to identify some gaps in your game, but it's all going to be deriving from what Steven just said. You historically had low efficiency low effectiveness with your content. You built out content that was ineffective, whether it was low quality or it wasn't accessible. You know, there's going to be something you find that's going to yield this challenge. If you believe that there's going to be a simple output that you can come in with and say, this is likely going to be where we land. One of the most famous ones that you hear is deleting content and doing a, a heavy pruning effort. Um, the percentage of times that will yield a success without doing an re actual research process is so extraordinarily low. Um, it, it's, it's almost hilarious. The amount of times that I think people, I hear, oh, I deleted all this content traffic went up. Um, most of the time that's not all they did. Um, and to be able to predict that one must have to look, one must look at the entire site. Most of the time in those situations, you're actually hurting yourself um, if you do that, if you go in with that conclusion. Um, so updating existing content, absolutely. If you have an advantage on a topic or you're ranking with a page and that page doesn't satisfy the user intent for people going to that page, you need to make it satisfy that intent and be an awesome page. And if that page for one reason or another can't be updated, go write one that does and connect it, right? So that playbook is your, that's your in, in instant win playbook, right? Because 
you have a page that's ranking well for something and then your page isn't following through. It's not it's not giving the user everything they dreamed they were going to get. Make it do that. But sometimes you can't. Let's say it's doing that for some other queries. So you got to write a page that does and provide that value because it's the value you're promising and not delivering today. So if you're promising value and not delivering it today, you got to solve that problem first. If you've got pockets of pages that are consistently not delivering on the promise, you're in trouble. And that process completely should be put ahead of any other process right now because it's going to catch up with you far more than any other situation. And I think that that's something from a update perspective. You're not just updating pages to make them optimize. You're not copying your competitors like a lot of software solutions would like you to do, right? Is you really, really need to make sure that if it's performing for a term or you're targeting a term, you have you are providing and following through and giving the best experience. Because as Google starts to invade us on these search results more, if your thin content page is providing less value than their search generative experience, that's going to be a great signal. And that's what, that's something you got to be in trouble. You're going to be in trouble with. So. That makes sense. And uh, allow me to pr- kind of present a scenario here, which is also connected to Dylan's question. Dylan, thank you very much for your question. Um, let's assume that you have a set of pages that like talk about reviews, right? Uh, market, ma- market news reviews, for example, okay? Because you are an affiliate website, okay? Would it make sense in that context, the update to be that, you know what? I am not going to do a review without actually using the tool. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go back to all these reviews and get access to these tools, use them for, I don't know, like a logical time frame for me to get some sort of experience with uh, first-hand experience with this tool and rewrite uh, the piece in a in a completely different way. Or if we are talking about an alternatives page, uh, which is also an important, let's say, uh, keyword type for for SaaS companies particularly, I'm going to go back to all these list posts with 22 alternatives, and I'm going to, you know, have four alternatives, but I'm going to actually use them, right? Is this logic in the right direction? Would you say that these kinds kinds of updates make sense and would help in in that direction hugely hugely in my opinion i think that's uh, at one point it was valid to actually kind of do like a curation page essentially and, and curate all the different reviews that you found on the web and kind of mash them all together and that, that was justified because back then there wasn't a lot of information that doesn't work anymore, right? To just essentially do with a review without having experience. Now it's it's cheating. It's like lying. That's not a review. How could you tell me that something is great when you haven't even used it? And I, I don't care if you've only used it for, you know, let's say I, I spent eight hours comparing, you know, this electric lawnmower against this battery-powered one. I cut my lawn five times last week. And here's what I found out. That's way better than just grabbing stuff and recycling it and, and quote, repurposing, as some people might want to call it. 
Well, I mean, it, but it, it, it's, there's a lot, I have a lot I could say about this, but I'm being sensitive to time. Your, what you say will need to be authenticatable, mm-hmm. right? So it's, you got to come across as authentic, but it needs to be authenticatable. In software selection, especially mid-market to, to, to small enterprise or enterprise, it's not viable that you would have installed all these products. That's true. Okay. You, you will not, the person writing that query, because you know what they call those people who have installed and used all those products? Forrester and Gardner. Pretty much the only two that would have the bandwidth or the ability to. Yeah. And in the hardware market, software, hardware and software, hardware market, test unit distribution. And by the way, I used to run software review, notebook review, tablet PC review, a bunch of sites and consumer electronics as well. The test, the test distribution market is so difficult. You have to invest so much. So the question will be uh, to Dylan, and I know Dylan quite well, um, is to say, if you're not willing to say that you actually didn't review it, how are you providing additional value? That becomes the challenge of an affiliate. If you are, you know, not that anyone would, but let's just say you have a a, a cigarette a review site and you've never smoked a cigarette, right? You're kind of inauthentic, right? So if you said, I never smoked, but I saw that this is menthol and it, it smells like this and this, I don't smoke by the way, so I, I would be talking out of my ear. But let's just say you are, let's say you're doing a review of a product you can't get for one reason or another. Let's say you're reviewing um, a types of exotic products. Let's say you're reviewing me, uh, medicinal products, right? If you're reviewing uh, homeopathic remedies, do you actually have to do all of those juice cleanses yourself? How can one then become an authority? You don't actually need the experience, you, but you do need to explain why you should be a reputable source to provide said experience. Much like if you, if you are, and I heard, this is a great example. I'm stealing it from somebody without attribution, and I forget who it was, and I'll go back and think about it. This is a great example. If you are an expert on software selection for payroll software, you may never have run payroll with a software product. The person who is the HR administrator who runs payroll with the thing, they're an expert on something else that provides value. Their butt's in the seat. So the challenge that Google has, with and we all have, is to figure out butt in seat who runs payroll versus the expert who could work at Forrester and, and, and review payroll process Versus none of the above. You've got to be able to explain why it's you who deserves the attribution of value. And you got to explain that through your content. And it's hard and it's going to be tough. But if you are reviewing, you know, uh, a particular thing where passionate people buy it, they can spot a fake instantly. Me and uh, Jared Krauss, who you may know from uh, uh, his his book, we were, I, w- I was, we we, we kind of set this up. I was saying things about surfing that would obviously show that I'm not a surfer, 
And at the end, he was like, that was so funny, Jeff. I could tell you were just trying to like say stuff. And I was trying to prove a point there that if he's, he's a, he's like an awesome surfer. He, he knows that, you know, he's like, yeah, no one uses the word skeg anymore. You know, like it, it's like that. If you're doing a review of, of, of baseball cards or, you know, high price bourbon, right. You know, they're going to spot a fake when they read it. So now the question is, do you try to get away with it, with your content? Or are you honest and clear about what you're actually doing and the value you're providing? That's the hardest thing everybody's going to have to deal with over the next year is do they get into the details of why they think they're providing value or do they lie? And that's going to be hard. In the context of uh, spotting a fake, what are your thoughts on AI content then? Because as far as I'm concerned, in 2023, AI content is not a thing. Like it can't have experience with a software solution or yet, right? Or uh, with uh, like something like uh, a trip to, uh, you know, Germany or like whatever. So should we trust AI content with some like key, for for some keyword types should we not trust it at all what is your stance and as an extension i i, I guess uh, market news stance when it comes to ai content and what should people pay attention to when it comes to all this craziness right now around it i'll uh, Stephen take first crack <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, we don't have much time, so I'll make this brief. You got to be very careful. Super uh, 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 My opinion really hasn't changed uh, since ages ago. You have to be so careful when you're using this. You cannot expect, and especially, this kind of relates to another thing too. You cannot expect uh, these large language models to get you out of a jam so that you just generate lots of content thinking that, okay, now we've got to generate lots of content. We'll use an LLM, uh, you know, because it'll be cheap, easy to do. And, you know, you look at it and it's passable. Yeah, at first glance, this stuff looks fine. It's only when you actually start looking at it in detail. And if you actually are an expert in the stuff that you've got in the large language model to generate stuff around, then you find out the weaknesses. So you can't use it as is verbatim. You can't use that as, as is verbatim either because then suddenly you're going to need somebody that you, you need somebody to edit anyways. But now not only do you need an editor, you need somebody that is also a subject matter expert. So it's hard enough to find good editors. It's almost impossible, in my opinion, to find a subject matter expert that is also a great editor. Like that's just asking for too much. So you can't go at it that way. You just can't. So the other alternative is to really to think of using this literally just as a tool. Just like if you had a hammer, you'd be using it to hammer nails. But you wouldn't use a hammer to try to put a screw into a piece of wood. That wouldn't work very well. You're going to see a lot of that. And just, I do see a lot of that happening right now. Where, you know, because they've got, everyone has this new hammer called ChatGPT. And they're, they're hitting everything with it, right? doesn't work. But you can use it quite effectively uh, to do some simple things. I shouldn't really call them simple, but you can use them that give you ideas for outlines that you might want to uh, use as a framework. Of course, you're going to be wanting to tweak those things 
or to expand certain thoughts or just have an interaction. I, I look at it as being like a writer's personal assistant. You can interact, have for better or conversation isn't maybe the best word, but for lack of a better word right now, you can converse with it, right? And kind of delve in and understand some more and maybe different viewpoints because, you know, there's always something there that you can gain from an interaction with uh, one of these models that you wouldn't otherwise. Yeah, I, I would say the, 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 there is a misconception of that AI equals the large language model I have access to, right? No, sorry. AI isn't this. This is one of billions of possible applications and it, thousands of market available software. So like, if you're doing complex math equations, there's an AI that will support that. It's not the thing you have access to for $20 a month. And I'm not saying that to be cruel. I'm just saying, like, don't think it's going to solve all of those problems. You've got to know what your problems are that you want to solve before you're truly going to have an impact with AI. So if, you, you know, uh, the quick story I'll I, I tell here is, you know, the, one of the first implementations of natural language generation was at Washington Post, and they couldn't cover all the Olympic games. And they said, let's use AI to try to at least cover a meets minimum of all the games so everybody gets their medals reported on. I love that use case because they solved it. And then they, their writers got to focus on their special interest and features instead of doing mundane process. You got to do that for yourself. Figure out what you're doing manually. Figure out what your team's doing manually or inefficiently. Are they picking only, out, of, out of every 10 articles they write, are only one of them successful? First of all, they need market muse. Second of all, they can improve that hit rate dramatically. The way you improve a baseball player who hits one hit out of 10 at-bats isn't by giving them 40 at-bats because they're only going to get four hits, right? So if you think that they're going to use you like that new analogy, Stephen, uh, do you think you, if you think that using AI is going to quadruple this articles you're writing and that's going to solve your problems? Oh my goodness. Like you would not do that with any other aspect of your business, right? So I'm hearing about people. Thank you, Eric. I'm hearing about people who are taking a 90 person team and trimming it down to 10. They must not have been, those 80 must not have been doing good work. If you can solve that problem, you got to solve other problems. Steven, I know since we've been using this stuff for years, we've had access to and have used large language models in our day to day for more than two years. Okay. I can, I can do, I can do 10 times the work that I used to be able to do. Jeff, as an individual who does lots of things, but I can, on certain use cases, I'm 10 to one. You've got to figure out that out for yourself because I can deliver a product that I use myself, manual labor that used to be 40 hours in four. And it, the quality is impeccable and something that I couldn't possibly do. Now, George, here's the question though, right? I wouldn't have done it before. That's the key. What AI is giving you is the ability to do stuff you probably wouldn't have done before. You wouldn't have gone and hired a 40 hour person and trained them to do all that stuff. What you've got to find out is what is the stuff you weren't going to do, but getting done at its value. And you've got to do a process inventory. But the answer to your question if that content isn't authentic and it's not telling the story of expertise, 
the penalty for that, you might as well just consider it, you know, so extreme. You would never do that for your brand. If you're a real brand, you're going to die. Yeah. Can I ask you something very important though? Because I I, I really believe people. Uh, and by the way, I see that people you know stick with us. They uh, obviously they find it very very interesting, and thank you for that. I think this is a very important distinction to be made though, because I don't want people to be confused when it comes to all the software solutions that are out there. As I see it, and correct me if I'm wrong, there are tools in the let's say category, uh, broadly defined category as content optimization or content intelligence. I don't know how like you refer to it specifically. Tools like Market News. And there are AI content tools or um, as I perceive it, distributors of OpenAI's IP. Do you think there is a, a future for content optimiza optimization tools and AI content distributors? Or in the future, it will only be tools that generate AI content and no tools that actually help content creators like create content. In other words, how do you see these changes save your, your category, I guess, and whether you can make a distinction so that it's clear to people that, you know what, this is what we mean when we say content optimization or content intelligence. And this is what we mean when we say like AI content generation. And Steven's a writer. And he knows, and so he's going to answer this question from the standpoint of somebody who writes extremely well. I don't write extremely well. Um, when I use this type of technology, it gives me a little bit, but I've, I've done so much work beforehand, the draft, I'm able to inject my own story, story spines and my sequencing and my, uh, personal takes and all that stuff, weave it together and make sure that it computes more effectively than sitting down on a pen and paper. So each task needs to be analyzed to see, does it help you? And does it help the quality of the output? But I'll, I'll let Steven answer because uh, he's much, he's written a thousand times more content than I ever will in my entire life. Well, you know, kind of just to elaborate on that, I think people still need to understand that there's a big difference uh, in using AI to help you determine what you should write about and using AI to write about that subject. Because if you get it wrong and you don't really know what to write about, again, you know, coming back to what Jeff said, it doesn't help you to have use AI to write a lot of that content. You could write, you know, a hundred different things, right? Using chat GPT or any other LLM. And if it's the wrong stuff, you're writing about the wrong things, you won't be ahead. In fact, you'll actually be behind the eight ball there because you will end up getting uh, essentially penalized, right? If you would think about Google's helpful content update, if you're just putting out crap and that's not helpful, all that content will drag down everything on your site. And chances are you're not even going to realize it. Yeah, and for the record, there was a, a blog post by um, Google's CEO, uh, Sundar Pichai, who mentioned the importance of AI responsibility and in that context mentioned watermarking and metadata as ways of detecting text-based and visual content. And so I see a future way where AI content gets depreciated by Google, maybe because it also has the watermark of a competitor. I don't know. Uh, and especially considering the fact that 
you know, they they insist, and it, and it was a common theme, you know, during this presentation on content that demonstrates uh, experience, expertise, and so on and so forth. Now, last question I have for you. Uh, I don't know who wants to take this, but um, I think both of you may, uh, each of you may have, you know, um, a different way of, of like perceiving this, um, this future for market news. And so my question is, how, how is market news preparing for and adapting to the changes on the product level? I'll give you one part. Stephen can give you the other, but I, you know, I think we're, we're both thinking about this. I think about ways people are doing this badly because if people are doing it badly a lot more, it actually makes for a lot more opportunities for our clients. Um, and that's the way that that's one way of thinking about the market. Um, what I would love to be able to do and Steve and I, your color is to escort as many people as I can in the world to be able to be as good as Steven is just bluntly at making decisions about content, writing content through with the assistance of software. And I think he can then answer, you know, getting how quickly they can get adopted, how quickly they can integrate these processes. But I don't know if you have something to say on in the last last word. Yeah, I mean, like Jeff, you kind of summed it up. I think there's a huge opportunity. There still is a huge opportunity there. I, I know that I would say right now, 95% of our industry is still just focused on, you know, typing. You know, let me write stuff. Let me help people write stuff. And while it's valid, I think there's just this, you know, other, if anything, what's going on with these changes coming with Google are going to even have greater impact and have greater emphasis on the need to be strategic in your content decisions. You have no choice. I agree. And I think, Zef, final word? And I'll just say, if, if, if software cuts corners or tricks Google, it has a short short shelf life and i'm watching software come out and all it's doing is making giving you the ability to write more low quality content or copy your competitors um and just because it says it's ai doesn't mean it's ai it means it might have access to an api <laughs> and you got to really really pick your pick your tools well um because just because they have access to an api doesn't mean that they have your best interests in mind. Um, they just, you know, got access to this API before some other people did. And that's really critical. That's a great way to wrap things up. Uh, Jeff, uh, Stephen, thank you both very much. Thank you to everyone who joined us for this first roundtable discussion. I'm really sorry that we didn't um, have the time to go through all the questions we got. Thank you for the questions. I guess the the engagement we had uh, on this on this first roundtable showed me that uh, we may have to uh, to repeat that um, at some point. Yeah, Jeff, Stephen, thank you very much, and thank you very much to everyone who tuned in and stayed with us until the end. Until next time. Another episode of the SaaS SEO Show has wrapped. We hope this episode has taught you something new too. We'd like you to connect with us so you can keep up with all the new content that we're creating. Before you go, it would mean the world to us if you could subscribe to this podcast 
and over at our YouTube channel, where we upload the video version of this and every episode. Until next time.